next session is actually on Fiber. And uh, I, I'm here in my as an experienced external examiner and here to ask questions if we're uh, if you should ask questions and we should try and answer them at appropriate uh, times. Um, but the main part of this session is going to be taken by my colleague Dr. Kate Coney. And Kate is an independent researcher developer now, but she has worked for BTI for a very long time, worked for a lot of universities, and is extremely experienced in all things to do with PhD theses, fibers, and postgraduate training. So um, part of it is going to be Kate uh, talking to you just as Erica's session. Part of it is going to be you talking to each other in workshop exercises. We are filming this session. Is anybody here not willing to be filmed? If so, put your hands up and uh, we will avoid you. Everybody happy? Okay, right, over to you, Kate. Okay, so um, I hope you've all had a relaxing uh, break. And now we're going to get into the final part of the PhD, I suppose. So this is the kind of the final act. Uh, this is the bit where the metaphorical fat lady comes to see. So, preparing for the Viagra. What is it and what can you expect? My question to you is, what do you think the Viagra is? What do you understand the Viagra to be? Intimidating. <laughs> Say that nice and loud so we can all hear. Intimidating. Intimidating. <laughs> Intimidating. Yes. Well, that's not the plan, but it can be. It can be, yes. A defence of your thesis? Absolutely. It's a defence of your thesis. Yep. What else? An opportunity to talk about your thesis. Absolutely. An opportunity for you to talk about your thesis potentially one, two, or maybe three, depending on your university, people who are genuinely interested in what you've been doing for the last, in your case, five, seven years. They genuinely want to know what you've been doing. They have the same passion for your research area as you. In fact, this is one of the most enjoyable parts of being an academic, because you get to speak to people right at the very beginning of their careers as researchers. So yes, it can be intimidating. Yes, absolutely, you can have butterflies in your stomach. Yes, you can be a bit nervous. But this should be something that you look forward to and actually you enjoy. So to ensure that you enjoy your father, the best way is through preparation. And that's what we're going to be spending the next uh, hour and a half looking at, how to enjoy your father. <laughs> So, preparing, what is the purpose of your Viva? A lot of you have picked this up already, and I understand you've got these handouts in your pack, so if you just want to make notes, fair enough if you, if you just want to be working through there in your pack. So this really is an opportunity for the examiners to check whether it's your own work. Because, you've been doing this for five, seven years, we're all trustworthy people, but we need to make sure that this is your research and this hasn't been a collaboration between you and your research and your research supervisor. So to check that it's your own work, to check whether you understood what you did. Because after five or seven years, you can kind of get to the point where you've forgotten where you were. What? Why did I do this? Why did I start this PhD? Oh my word, five years ago I didn't have a family or a mortgage or children or a 
partner or I haven't moved across the country and this thing is still here. So, is the check you understood what you did? This great big thing. Do you understand what you've achieved? And also to check whether it's worth a PhD. After five, seven years, is what you've written of PhD standard? Is it that original contribution to knowledge, which is what you've heard being banded around your departments? Oh, what's a PhD? Oh, it's original contribution to knowledge. But what does that mean? What does that mean? So that's the purpose of the Bible. But what makes a successful Bible? The successful Bible is one where the candidate has a clear rationale and can explain and justify what they've done. They also are aware and have a pretty good idea of the types of questions that go, they're going to be asked during that examination. And they know their thesis thoroughly. Now you might say, but I've been working on this for so long, of course I know it thoroughly. I, I know every single word of it. It's the only thing that I've thought about for nearly, it seems like forever. But do you really understand your thesis? And also, the thesis of your thesis, your arguments. That's what makes a successful Bible. I'm looking at Dorothy because I just want to ask her, is there anything at this point that you would like to chip in what makes a successful Bible? I think it's very, very important at this stage that you have looked at and understand what your university's regulations are for our criteria for passing your PhD Bible. Uh, your university will have criteria. How many of you have looked at university criteria? Not very many of you, so I recommend that you go, when you get back to your uh, own universities, find the criteria for the bar, for the PhD and see what it is that you're actually aiming at. Thank you. So, Let's move on then to this preparation. As I said, a successful binder is one where the candidate prepared, knows the types of questions. But let's think about the preparation before your binder itself. Who here has already got to or is about to submit their thesis? One, two, three, four, four of you. So I'm guessing you submitted it to the office and there was a fanfare. There was someone there with ticket tape. Not so much. No, not so much. Didn't happen. Well, surely that happened to you. Am I still sitting in the cupboard? I've just been to the research office. <laughs> so absolutely. So actually, the, the, the submission, the thing that you've been working towards so hard, you you hand it to this person on a desk, and they say thank you very much. And if you're really lucky, they might give you a receipt. Um, and somebody might say, wow. And so you finish then, and you nod and say, wow. I'm just waiting for my Bible. But the end of a PhD is a long process. It's not the end. I talk about the Bible being the beginning of the end. So this is the chance for you to take a mini break after submission. So you hand in your soft copy, and this actually is a copy of my soft copy that I handed into this uh, office at Common University. Uh, Anne Daly was her name, and I handed it to Anne, and she said, well done. Literally, in that tenure, well done, I'll put it for the others. 
So I took mine, and you know, I, I took it home, and I thought, oh, it's quite a lot of paper, and I was quite proud. But I'm really glad I took some else's advice and just put it away. For two weeks, I read a novel for pleasure. <laughs> I watched a television programme and didn't feel guilty that I should be doing something else. So my strong recommendation to you is you submit and then have a break. Have a break, do something else, don't think about it. And after a week or two, after submission, after your mini break, it's time to get back into it. I was told, and I thought you may, may have other suggestions, but I was told, pick up your thesis and read it from cover to cover, like someone who's never seen it before, starting on the first page. And if you notice a typo on the first page, don't panic. That's why it's a soft copy. It's not going to mean that you're going to fail your binder. So, you read through, and first of all, you might think, God, this is boring. Or you might start thinking, this is really impressive. This, this is really good stuff, actually. Because it may have been a while since you sat down and read your work with a pair of really fresh eyes. So this is your opportunity to almost put yourself in the examiner's shoes. Read it with a fresh set of eyes. And start summarising the chapters. Be familiar with the references that you've quoted and start thinking about the kind of questions you would ask yourself if you were the examiner. Would you be asking, so, I see you've, uh, you've put your methodology in chapter two. Why did you do that? <coughs> and you know why you did that. Start thinking about the types of questions that your examiner <coughs> might ask you. Thank you. Sorry, at this point, I'll hand to you on comments. Well, you would be glad to know that uh, I have a handout which I'll be ready for you at the end of this session, which gives you a list of questions that examiners love to ask. So these aren't questions which are very specific to your particular work, but they are questions which examiners will ask you and which you should think about whilst you are going through reading the thesis when you come back to it after you've had your break, spoken to your family, made sure your children are still there, and so on and so on. Um, and the more preparation you do, and the easier it is that uh, the notes that you make for yourself about navigating around your thesis, uh, the easier the Bible will be, and the more confident you will feel going into the Bible. So as I say, I have a list of questions that examiners like to ask for you at the end. So, thinking about those types of questions, just to highlight what might come up. And of course, every Bible is different. You may well have heard some horror stories. Oh, I heard once about this person who once told me that their examiner told them that their uh, PhD viber took five weeks and uh, they had to stay in a hotel. <laughs> Maybe not quite that extreme. But you'll always hear the horror stories. And when it comes to it, when you try to dig down, who is it who actually told you that thing? It becomes this urban myth. Most examinations last between, on average, ballpark figure, we can't give you a definite, between two and four hours-ish. 
If you need the toilet midway through, that's fine. Dorothy will allow that. Yes, I will. <laughs> if you need a bit of a break, you know, I really could do with just a bit of fresh air, just to clear my head for a moment. That's we're here to help. They're not here to, to sit you down and make sure you never move. So four hours, yes, it can be a very long time, but trust me, those hours will whiz by. They will whiz by. So let's think about those anticipated questions. And it could be about the types of methods you use for your data collection, about the way you analyse your data. The chances are they'll ask you to justify the way you chose your analysis and method methods. So why did you choose an inductive approach? Why, why not a deductive approach for this particular uh, thesis? You should be able to answer that. You should have that type of answer to hand. They will ask you questions around your central research question. They may well ask you uh, questions around the underlying philosophy of your thesis. And also be prepared to answer questions around the general field of study. So, for example, my thesis was looking at organic vegetable production in England with a case study of two farms in Oxfordshire and Leicestershire. Very specific. One of the questions I was asked was about generally agriculture in the UK. Now, that wasn't necessarily my thesis, but I had a pretty good understanding of the general... Uh, geography of agriculture in the UK. So be prepared to have some broad questions asked to you, as well as those very specific questions. The chances are you're going to have questions about the data. Of course you are. This is your thesis. Whether it's primary data, secondary data, perhaps you took sources and analysed sources. Think of those as things. Your findings and conclusions, and of course, that contribution to your field. So what is your thesis brought to our understanding of agriculture in the UK, for example? They will ask you about the limitations and what next. And it's fine to say, this was a PhD thesis. This was not a multi-million pound research council funded with 20 researchers across the UK with collaborations in America research project. There was one of me, I had a specific amount of time and a specific budget. Of course there were limitations. However, and the important thing is that you know what you would do if you were to do this again, but also where your research could go now. Now you've done this thesis, now you've done this, this research. And of course the literature. Normally, when I uh, run these sessions, my uh, question to you would be, what are you fearing? What's, the, what's your fear? So I throw that question out to you. What is your fear, the divider? That I've not been able to answer a question. Yeah, so you don't know how to answer a question. Okay, what else? I'm worried that I am going to express something in the viva that I haven't written in the same way in the thesis. And so they're then going to say, well, why don't you write it in that way? Yeah. So adding something extra, mm -hmm. or do you mean contradictory? No, extra. Something. Or a different way to explain. Yeah, yeah. So it may well be, in terms of different ways to explain, that's actually helping. Because a thesis viva is just one part. Your thesis 
is part one of the examination. And you in the Viber is the second part. You can't get a PhD on thesis alone. And I can to you, Delphi, because I know you have a wonderful way of expressing uh, the difference between a good Viber and a bad thesis and vice versa. Um, yes, you can. There are thesis, sort of our all shapes and sizes, as, as Kate has said. No one thesis uh, is exactly the same as, as another thesis in terms of how it's structured and so on and so forth. There are outstanding theses, there are good theses, there are poor theses, but just because a thesis is a poor thesis, it doesn't mean to say that you're not going to, to get through. You can redeem yourself in the Bible because, as Kate says, that is the second part of the PhD process. And sometimes, if you've written an outstanding thesis, some people can get very nervous in the Viber and not perhaps perform as well as you, as you or, or they feel that they're capable of. But that doesn't matter because it does go together as a whole. And the examiners, experienced examiners, are always willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. So if you're expanding on something that you feel that you um, would like to elaborate, which it actually isn't in your thesis, that's a very good thing to do because it shows that in that time before, uh, after you've written the thesis, you're actually still thinking about it and your ideas are still maturing. It is a formative thesis and Viber is a formative process as well as a summative process and the examiners are genuinely interested in you and how you have developed as a researcher and your continuing development. So when they ask you about the limitations, um, Feel, feel free to say, well, I wasn't happy with this, and if I was going to do it again now, I would do it in a different way. And those are messages that the examiners like to hear. Thank you. And in terms of not knowing how to answer a question, that's part of the preparation. So by having a practice run. And I'm hoping that that's exactly what we're going to do now. So your question was very pertinent. In a Giver, the chances are... The first question will be your start of the TED. This is an open question, a chance for you to get warmed up, it's a chance for you to start talking, and it's a chance for the examiners to help you just settle those nerves. The question could be along the lines of, what has your thesis contributed to our knowledge in this field? It might be, tell me about your thesis. It could be, what have you learned as a result of completing this, this research process? The answer is basically the same. They want you to get talking, highlight some key points, just to, to get you warmed up. So, to get you warmed up, not that we need it in this room, I'm asking you to answer that question. You have three minutes each, working in groups of three. Hopefully that should work. Threes or twos. You have three minutes per person to answer the question, what has your thesis contributed to our knowledge in this field? Now, yes, it's a very broad question because I couldn't possibly tailor that question to every single one of these theses in the room. So, three minutes each. It's nine minutes in total for groups of three. By that clock behind us, working in groups of three, decide who's going first. 
answer the question, off you go. And once you get going, nine minutes soon. Yeah. You haven't even done it yet. Well, make sure you start first. So, this is the chance for you to really be thinking about what it's like to speak for three minutes. And um, Dorothy has reminded me to, to tell you about the, the reasons for those, or when those questions might come up. It may well be that you get a question like this at the very beginning. The chances are you will get some kind of opening question. And having some kind of standard, almost elevator pitch style, style answer, so three minutes, summary of your uh, thesis, main points, key points, findings, is something you need to have in your toolbox ready for your binder. But you also need to have a slightly extended version at the end of the binder. Because it may well be that the examiner says to you, so, we've heard all about your uh, thesis and the methodology and the literature, and we've talked about the different approaches, and you've told me why you've done chapters one, two, three like this. But let's think big picture now. Tell me what has been your contribution to this field. And at this point, you can elaborate. So this may be the time where you have a slightly longer answer. You may have a nine-minute answer. A, uh, a comprehensive summary of what you've done, but also include things about what you do the next time. Also to include where you would like to publish. Now, at the Open University, the rules and regulations about PhD thesis here is that your thesis is of a publishable standard and elements and the percentage of your thesis could be published. So what part could be put into journal articles? So that's one way that they track to see if what you've done is worth a PhD. Now it's important that you go back to your home institutions and check and read through those rules and regulations to see how much of your thesis they're thinking needs to be a publishable standard. Now this isn't about getting a book deal for your thesis in its format as it is. This is about what can you take, what's ready to be turned into a journal article. So let's think about the preparation on the day. So you've done all of those preparations, you've thought about the questions, the chances are you've run through the answers to some of those questions. You may well have, and I would strongly encourage, a mock binder. Now your mock binder could be with your supervisor, it could be with your second supervisor, it could be with a friendly academic within your department, it could well be with a research, a member of research staff within your faculty who can run through some questions with you. But find somebody to put you through your cases before your viper. Know what it feels like to be talking for at least an hour. So, you've done those things, you've prepared, you've checked your thesis, you've had some thinking time with questions, you've had a mock viper, and the day has arrived. Preparation on the day. Bring your thesis. Then you might think, of course I'm going to bring my thesis. It's all in um, a LibreArch file, all the chapters. What you want is a copy exactly the same as the one that you submitted. 
Why would why would that be a good idea? Can you refer to the same page as that word? Absolutely. It's about making it easy for you and your examiners. So when Dorothy says, this is very interesting, and on page 61, Kate, I see that you've got a table here. And you say, yes, of course, page 61. And of course, you know by heart what's on page 61. <laughs> perhaps you've done some highlighting, or perhaps you've stuck post notes in there. But make sure you bring the same copy, the same version. You might want to bring, and this is down to you now, this is preference. You might want to bring a list of anticipated questions and any notes that you may have made about answering them. So there's some handouts in your pack about potential questions. Dorothy's also got a handout for you as well. You may want to bring those with you. You don't need to, but you can if you want to. You may want to bring any notes. I took this. I can't believe I've still got this. But I've also got my notes, various versions, this is in the old days when computers weren't quite as uh, easily accessible as uh, they are now. My notebook. I also took that in with me as well. Any notes that you've made, you may be writing them in your thesis. And also, I know this is a bit teaching grandmothers to suck eggs, but please write down the room number and the time of your Bible. Because on the day, you know, you go, yeah, 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 it's in that building. Oh, no, it's not actually. It's not in there. It's in that other building, and I've never been there before, and I don't know the room numbers. So, know where your viva is, and know what time it is. Ideally, you want to have gone and checked the room beforehand. Now, this is a true story. One of the ladies that I worked with in a previous role, the door was locked, and the person couldn't get in to the examination room, and she had to climb in through the window from the outside to let the examiner in from the other side. So, expect the unexpected. Know your room number, perhaps, you know, be aware if you can access the building in a uh, room in any other way. So, preparation on the day. Who is going to be in your examination normally? Again, go back to your home institution, check to see what's normal. If you are a member of staff, there may be extra rules and regulations about who needs to be in your examination with you. Normally, there will be two examiners. Normally, there will be an internal examiner and an external examiner. You can, in some institutions, in some universities, have your supervisor in there with you. If that's the case, it may be your main supervisor, it may be your secondary supervisor. But check, these are things that you need to go away and research. Depending on your department, you may have an independent chair or an examinations advisor. Now, Dorothy has just quoted the QAA rule and regulation about independent chairs. It's in the rules and regulations, there's a recommendation that this happens at institutions in the UK. So the chances are you will have an independent chair. The role of the independent chair is to check that the examination is being carried out in a fair way. They are not there to ask you questions. They are there to check that everything is being adhered to in terms of the rules and regulations for your institution. During my viva, 
my independent chair, I swear, spent most of the time looking out the window. It was February, it was snowing. And you know what it's like, you start looking at a snowflake, I'm sure she was just watching the snow coming down from the sky. Your supervisors, can anybody tell me something interesting about, sorry, your examiners, anybody tell me anything interesting about examiners for a PhD thesis examination for Viber? What's an interesting fact about examiners for Viber's? Anybody heard anything about them? They have to have examined at least three doctorates in two. Is your mind? So, there may well be rules and regulations about who can be who can be an examiner. Who can take the lead? Yes. Yeah. What else? They're not going to know as much about your fields as you do. Absolutely. You are the expert. Yes. Yeah. What else? They probably may also have a bit of general knowledge in your in your field. Yeah, so they'll have some general knowledge. Yeah, yeah, what else? They might have their own agenda. <laughs> Absolutely. They will have their own agenda. They'll want to be asking questions specifically from their field or their particular perspective on your field. Yes. What else? Is that another hands up at the back there? No, they will at least have read your thesis, which most people would. I, 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 I assume that that's the case. <laughs> yes, so I think I think you can generally generally you can assume that your uh, examiners will have read the thesis. Uh, they may not have read it in quite as much detail as your supervisors, but they will certainly have read the thesis. Um, it takes me about three days to read a thesis, and then it takes me sort of another day sort of sitting around thinking about it. And then I might go back um, because uh, before um, I come to examine your thesis, I have to write an independent examiner's report giving my views on the thesis and the recommendation I would make for that thesis, and the other examiner will be doing the same. Um, and when we both written our reports, then we send them into the chair or the person who is responsible for administering the fiber, and they will swap our reports, so we get to see each other's reports. Um, so they are quite detailed reports, and uh, we're also asked to identify the type of questions that we would like to, to ask you about. Um, those are the chair sees those, and uh, that's very the reason why the chair sees them, because it's important that the chair is actually going to be um, regulating the proceedings for you or there will be an administrator from your university regulating the proceedings for you. So that's what happens while you're sort of having your sort of mini break, um, and your finals, your thesis rather, has hopefully uh, left your research degrees office and uh, brown paper passing on its way to the examiners. That's sort of part of the process that you don't actually get to see. The examiners sort of exchanging their reports about it, and hopefully coming to a consensus before you get into the Bible, so examiners will be preparing for your Bible as well. We won't just be coming and thinking, oh, well, we just ask these standard questions. We will have thought about it quite carefully. Yes? Uh, I'd like to ask you a question. Has there been any occasion when, before the Bible, you had a different feeling about the dissertation? Mm -hmm. When you got there, it changed, or vice versa? Yes, I can tell you. <laughs> give you a personal story about that. Um, 
the very first one is a very inexperienced PhD examiner. The very first PhD that I examined was uh, using a methodology which I'm not at all familiar with, um, and one which I wasn't very sympathetic to uh, in those days, before I was enlightened. Um, and uh, so I wrote my report, um, and because it was a thesis which was written from a very subjective point of view, and I come from a very objective uh, sort of scientific tradition in experimental psychology, and I was very happy with all this subjective stuff in, in the thesis. Fortunately, the other examiner, the internal examiner, was a very experienced person, who was very experienced in ethnography and phenomenology and this sort of type of thing. Um, and uh, I was astonished when I saw his report because he thought the thesis was absolutely very good, one of the best examples of that type of thesis that he'd ever seen, and I thought it was absolutely dreadful. Um, <laughs> so uh, what happens uh, after we've exchanged reports and on the day of the Bible itself is we get together for a pre-Bible meeting. And um, the chair is there to actually make sure that we resolve these differences and that we arrive at a consensus so that we won't be rehearsing these differences that we might have been, that we might have in your fiber, because it's your fiber. You know, it's not us, uh, sort of rehearse, uh, us having differences of opinion and arguing with each other. So the chair will try very hard to make sure that all differences of opinion are resolved, um, that we have a mutual line of questioning that we're both happy with, and we've had a discussion about it. So, Answer your question. Yeah. Can I just ask whether he got his PhD? Oh, he did. Uh, the person did get the PhD. The person is now a very successful academic in University of Exeter. And um, myself, uh, the compromise was that a different type of um, section was needed to be put into the discussion, which brought out the more sort of general aspects of the thesis and the thesis title was changed because the thesis title did not reflect what that thesis was. And there were other sort of minors, but that was the main, uh, that was the compromise that we arrived at. So then, two things there. One, you can check, things can change post viva or even down to the name of your thesis. That's quite a big thing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the viva is not the, the be all and end all. Be all and end all. What other thing do you know about examiners for thesis? Do you get some say in the choosing? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, with intention of choosing. Yeah. You get to have a, an input on who examines you. And because you get to, to in, influence who chooses, uh, who chooses your examiner, you, in a way, get to choose the way that you will be examined. If you want to be particularly examined on your methodology and that approach that you took, you might decide that you want an examiner who's from a particular school of thought. Vice versa, if you know that perhaps that's not your, your strongest area and you really want someone to be pulling out the, the results because that's your, your flair and that's the most important part of your thesis, Perhaps you want a different type of examiner, someone who would be looking at the results side of your thesis. So a PhD exam, a viva, is the best kind of exam I could ever imagine. You get to take in the answer book. <laughs> you get to have read 
the questions prior to the exam. You get to choose pretty much who examines you and the types of way that they will examine you. There's no, oh, I've got to get it done in so many hours, time uh, pressure. And if you don't get the answer right, there's lots and lots of ways that the examiners can help you arrive at a PhD. Whether it's minor corrections, major corrections, resubmissions. So a PhD fiber is not the be all and end all. It's the first step in getting to the end of your, of your PhD. As we said, I think we've covered some of this already. The viva process, usually between two and three hours, maybe four hours, depends. No one can tell for sure. My exam, I think, in the end was about an hour and 15 minutes. My suspicion was because it was snowing. <laughs> the examiners will ask you questions. In a, the only way I can really describe it is in a kind of a, like a job interview, where they ask you questions and, and you answer them will be a formal type of conversation. But it's all you do all of the answering of the questions and the defence of your thesis. If your supervisor is in there with you, they can't do the answering for you. They're there as kind of moral support, sending good vibes. They can't do that talking for you. So it's a conversation, and it really is a conversation where you explain and defend what you've done, but you can ask for clarification. So if you don't understand the question, you can ask the examiner to rephrase. And a good examiner should be able to rephrase their questions or, or explain what they mean by that particular area. A good examiner shouldn't be asking some nested questions, two questions in one. Maybe at this point you want to make any comments. Take control over the fiber, it's your fiber. Um, as Kate said, if we phrase our questions very badly, don't, well, don't, don't feel frightened to sort of say, oh, sorry, I didn't understand that question, would you mind rephrasing it? Do take some time, if you want a little bit of thinking time before you answer the question, that's absolutely fine as well. The chair will set out the sort of ground rules for you. If you say, you can say things like, oh, I, I, can I just have a couple of, couple of minutes to sort of jot down some thoughts? Jot them down on paper and then you've got something to, to read from it. If the question is, is particularly um, requires, sometimes we like to pack in two or three questions into one question, and you need to think, how am I going to answer that? I'll answer this first, and then that, and then the other. Um, so you, you, can take, you can take control. We're on your side, basically, and your supervisor, although your supervisor isn't there to um, contribute or answer questions for you, um, what your supervisor can do is a very useful function, which is actually write down the questions that the examiners ask so that afterwards um, and make some notes for you about what you answered because you were probably too busy sort of thinking to, to write very much. So ask your supervisor to take notes for you and then you and your supervisor can discuss that after the after the binder. And it's good to know that that's what they're doing. So I didn't realise that's what my supervisor was doing. So he sat behind me and was scribbling away. At one point, oh, 
I must have answered it really badly. He's writing loads, but actually what he was doing was writing my answer so that after the examination, he came back and said, oh, well, that was a really good answer there. You, you really defended that really, really well. So have some ground rules with your supervisor as well. Ask them to do things, but also understand what they're there to do for you. You have a second chance if you make an absolute mess of it. Of course you can. So I'm sorry. Um, can I start again? That's absolutely fine. No, I mean... The whole vibe of you an absolute pig's ear of it. And they say you made a mess of that, but you can come back and have another go. <laughs> I think if we notice that you were really floundering, um, then what um, I would do, I would ask the chair for the appropriate place to have a little bit of time out so that uh, we can have a break, go off, get some water, go to the room, compose yourself, come back in, have a word with your supervisor, put that talk. Um, come back in and start and start and start from where you from where you left off. Um, I think we talked about this earlier. You know, a good Bible can redeem a poor thesis, but a great thesis can also redeem a Bible which is a little bit shaky. Has that happened that you've had to have a, a substantial break? Well, I'm I'm about to do a Bible in uh, the University of Central Lancashire where we are building breaks in because the candidate has got a medical condition which means that she's going to be that she's going to need regular breaks. Okay. But yes, you can um, I've not personally experienced somebody wanting time out, but you can ask for time out or if as I say the chair notices that you are getting a bit flustered or the examiners for whatever reason uh, might want to have a little bit of time out, you can ask for time out. Right. Just a comment, I have been told of where a candidate has specific learning difficulties mm -hmm. at the Viva. But what the examination team have done is they have given the students um, the questions, if some of the questions in advance, not quite the same as on your list, but actually what they're going to ask. And okay. um, this was to do with some kind of genuine examination phobia as well as the learning difficulty, so that they had time to prepare their answers, mm -hmm. to make the best use of their answers. So in that situation that you referred to where you had to have an unexpected time out, would you maybe think about saying, well, when you come back, I'm going to ask you about this. You might like to think about it to put yourself at ease. That would be a very useful strategy. Thank you. I shall, I shall think about that. Um, so different, different universities have got different um, <coughs> regulations. I have done a PhD thesis where the um, candidate advisor at uh, University of Staffordshire and then according to their regulations, you as a candidate are entitled to see the report, most of the report, some of it is confidential, but you are able to see the report and the questions that, that are likely to come up. So, as I say, I've only encountered that at University of Staffordshire, um, but um, it is an option you know. So it's worth, as I say, it's worth checking your own university's uh, regulations to see whether that's an option. It's not an option here at the open but it may well be at, at other universities. Um, but yes, that would be a very useful strategy. Thank you. Okay, so moving on then from the examiners and the types of questions, things about competent researchers, so people who are going to get their, their thesis, going to get their PhD, sorry. So they can recognise, anticipate and acknowledge and can overcome weaknesses within their research. So this is a sign of competence, not of incompetence. Being able to recognise that the research has, has areas of weakness. 
but also they know how to sell their research. They can be positive about it, they know how the work is carried out, and they can be confident about the way they, they've written and the way that they approach their research. So competent researchers both know how to sell, but also know how to overcome weaknesses. So for the next 15 minutes, I'm now going to give you the opportunity to have a mock driver. For those of you who didn't necessarily get a chance to answer the question first time, I know uh, it's Samuel on this table, you go first this time. I want you to work in groups of three again. You've got five minutes, so this really is only a very short viva, uh, but you've got five minutes each to answer the questions that your examiners are going to pose to you. So in your packs, there are a selection of possible viable questions. I would ask your examiners, so working in groups of you want to uh, decide the examiners between you, so make sure that everybody has had the opportunity to have a mock viper. The examiners, please make sure that you answer or you ask a question from each of the subheadings. Both sides. But also, please make sure that you ask the question, do you have any plans for publication? The question about publication is important because it shows that you are aware. So do make sure that you ask the spelling mistakes in, which I thought, yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> the other examiner uh, said, you know, if it was down to me, I'd just let you, if it was in the old, he said to me, if it was the old days where we had some uh, lady who had to type it out for you again, it would be fine, but I know that you can quickly change these on your computer. 
So <laughs> times are changing. Perhaps the, the fact that things are very easily editable uh, may or may not influence how much of an amendment is a minor amendment. Dorothy, you can add your comments. Yes, that, that's uh, generally uh, minor amendments really are things like sort of minor editing, tidying up. Uh, checking the spelling, you know, all the references aren't there and so on. So you might be asked to do a tiny little bit of reorganisation of one chapter or something like that, just moving sections around or perhaps adding a section or tidying up your footnotes if it's a, an arts-based thesis. Um, and generally, you'll be given a, a finite period of time for that. And you will also be given, your examiners uh, will give you a list of <coughs> they won't have marked up your thesis, not at the Open University anyway, because we're not allowed to do that. But you will have a list of corrections. If there's anything more major, where they might want you to rewrite a particular section or add in a bit, or uh, some worst case scenario, actually go off and collect some more data because they feel that you need to collect some more data or do, do a different type of analysis, then you will be given longer time for that. So, substantial corrections will generally allow. Um, about six months of minor corrections is generally two to two to three months to, to do that. Very few theses go through actually with no corrections whatsoever. But as a case says, it is going to be a bit lovely. Other people are going to be reading it. Um, increasingly, you will might be asked to actually put an electronic copy of your thesis as a media in your university's library. So it is a public document. So it's worth just, I know it's probably very irritating never to see where it's ever again, <laughs> but um, it is a public document, so it is worth getting it as good as it possibly can do and uh, following the examples of things. They will give you good advice as to how to do it can be as good as it possibly can be. And it is a recommendation from the examples? It is a recommendation. Um, here at the Open University, we recommend it goes to research degrees, it goes to a ratification panel, and then they ratify it to the recommendation and then you'll get your letter with the recommendation. But your examiners won't be you not knowing. They will say, we are going to recommend. Is, is that always done at the start, is it? No, 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 no. You, don't do, you don't do it at the start. Um, some universities may do it at the start. You don't do it here. It's an examination. You don't get the result of your examination. Yeah, well, some people do it at the start, some people don't. I know. The examiners will probably try to set you you can read such a tease and yeah, say, you know, we really enjoyed reading this thesis, we found it very interesting, um, you know, and, which is tipping your wink, really. But we're not allowed to, at the end of the university, anyway, to say, you know, this only actually happened in our case, my examiners did this as a bad old days, uh, did say, well, you know, we are going to recommend a pass and we just like to have a discussion. That is increasingly rare, because, it, as I say, it is a poor examination. So the reason that it's a recommendation is because the university wants to, wants to make sure that you have got adequate time. So perhaps the recommendation from the examiners are that this is minor corrections within two to three months. And the recommendation goes to the board, if it's if you want to, the university goes to fix the board, and they may say, well actually what they're asking here, that's a bit more than just a few titles. We would say uh, it's, it's major corrections, so that you've got extra time. So this isn't necessarily about the, the board disagreeing with the examiners, but they're there to make sure that you have adequate time to do what you need to do to get it to the point of final completion. So that's why it's a recommendation. This isn't the examiners turning around saying, this is it, off you go, congratulations. 
although at, towards the end, after that you've had your barber, they will be uh, telling you what their recommendations are. So, up on the... Sorry, um, is it kind of called by Chairs Action, or have I searched for a CD and then bought from it at the only... No, you. Um, I think the uh, that board actually needs quite frequently. But if it's going to be wrong, then it represents someone or something, it will be quite transactional. Do you have to print out three copies again when you. Yes, you have to watch the Yes, you have to. Although that is going to be increasingly rare in due positions, but at the moment, yes, you do, which is why we don't ask them to find it. In my day, we actually had to find it, and if you had corrections, it would have to be unbound and rebound, which is a considerable expense, or it may have been typed up. Um, <coughs> you know, you had to send it out to a typist. Um, I didn't personally, because we had one word processor uh, in the department, and we were allowed to use it in the secretary's quote, to use it. But um, yes, you will have to do the Just a quick one as well. Uh, if I pass the final correction or submission of the thesis, will the person be asked to come again for a viable or that is it? No. Um, no, you don't. The uh, internal examiner, well, the examiner's free is going to check that the corrections have been done satisfactorily. It's usually the internal examiner. Uh, if it is, there is a criteria here at the, at the university, um, substantial amendments re re-examination. That's very rare. Okay. In which case, you would be asked to come and defend your thesis again, but that, that's very, very important. Just one more. The uh, idea of having a note for the Bible um, will, will they allow one to, I mean, for example, maybe one may have me ask some questions and uh, written it down. Would they allow them to be looking at it, or you have to see it often? No, no, you can take your notes in with you. Oh. Yeah, it's an open book examination. Yeah. I've got one lady here, and then, is that two questions? Or one? No, one, one. one. <laughs> yes. So if you um, have to do uh, major corrections, you send them in, and the internal examiner, examiner is checking through that you've done them satisfactory. If you haven't, do they kind of send it back, and you can have another go at making the corrections, or... Uh, you will have worked with your supervisor to make sure that you have done those okay. corrections satisfactorily, yes. It, uh, okay, so that's never really the, an, an I issue. Know, I've never come across... Uh, I mean, I think it, it, I think it does happen. Um, but again, it's, it's very, very rare. Okay. Similar sort of question. My supervisors have always been very clear with me that they didn't want me to submit. Um, until they were satisfied that it was of a certain standard. And so I uh, completely understand that two of the outcomes from a viva can be awarding a lower qualification or failing the candidate. What are the circumstances in which that might happen? So failing the candidate, essentially because the candidate has gone off the piece, submitted something without the recommendation or support being a supervisor. Uh, a true story for me, a lady in my office, she submitted her thesis, she'd got to the end of her funded period, she'd got to the end of the extension that was possibly available to her from the research councils, the university with about to be blacklisted and funding, and the, uh, the option was get it in, just get it in, we need to get this off the desk. 
And the first thing that the examiner said to her was, so what would have improved this thesis? And her answer was, probably the concluding chapters. <laughs> so, there was the option for her. We can examine this as a emperor, just to get it finished. Or, there's the option of a resubmission. And she had a, a, a much longer period of time to resubmit the thesis. So, there are reasons why. It may well be that you come, you decide, you know what, I just don't want to do a PhD anymore. What I've got, could that be worth a master's by research? The only condition that I've come across that a thesis has failed is where the examiners have detected that has, it is not all the candidates over the majority of work, and the supervisors haven't picked that up for whatever reason. Um, but you would have to be a pretty careless supervisor to pick that mm -hmm. up. But resubmission is a failure. Resubmission is, is resubmitting it and having enough language. Resubmission is, is not a failure. No, no. resubmission is, is yes. no, re doing, doing something extra. It may or may not be with another Bible, depending on your university regulations. So, which is why I, I constantly say, go back, check, see what your regulations say. Do I have time for a 10 minute video? Do we have time for a 10 minute video? This is of a real life person having a Bible. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, good. So, um, this is. James very kindly agreed to the University of Nottingham filming his father. This is not the example that perhaps some universities use where it's uh, actors. This is raw, this is James, you see the nerves. You also see the raw emotion and the elation. You don't want to give it away, but the elation. <coughs>
the pressure on A-level students if you move the exam to the end of the two-year period. And you say, well, you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket there. Everything is on this one exam. And so, I mean, to, to not be nervous is just implausible. There's certainly a few things that Roger and Mike think I should talk about. And so, uh, we've just been, what was that, rehearsing? But, but in a very informal way, I've just been chatting and saying, well, I could say this. And they'll be like, no, no, don't say that. And it's, it's an oral exam. So, essentially, there's one guy from the university, the internal examiner, and an external guy who's invited in, and they read your, your thesis, the 200-page document that you've written up to describe the minutiae of everything you've done in the last, as it turns out, four years. I've been nervous before. Um, I, as a younger man, I, I did some stand-up comedy in Glasgow uh, as a, a younger and an English man. Uh, that, was, that was a very nerve-wracking experience. <laughs> I think before I went on stage, I ran backwards and forwards to the toilet. I must need another pee already. Um, it was, I got the worst stage fright actually is why I stopped doing it. Because uh, I, just, I just couldn't handle the stage fright. It was outrageous. And I feel a bit like that now. Um, so I've been three times. Uh, <laughs> nothing left. So, so I'm just sort of jiggling about and thinking, oh God, let's go on. Yes, you can fail. But people don't talk about the occasions on which people do fail because it's embarrassing. So it's just like um, queuing for a roller coaster. You know, I've got metaphors coming on my head. God, I've got suited and booted, best clothes. Now, normally I'm I'm not a, a smartly dressed individual. For those who don't know, James always wears shorts. Not always, just just most of the time. I, I think it would have been disrespectful to my examiner to turn up dressed like this. So I wanted to. I wanted to look smart, I wanted to show him that I was taking the day seriously, and so, best suit, it felt good, you know, I came in dressed in, in my best, and it's not very often I do that, every couple of years now, so I enjoyed that. Went up there, we all sat down in, in this, uh, in Professor Beacon's office. It's a lot like an interview, I mean, if you've ever had a job interview for a job you really deeply want, you know, then that's, that's what it was. And, I sat down with these two guys, one of whom I've never met before, and they asked me an opening question, which is, it's a gentle starter, right? It's there to, to, to get you warmed up, to get you talking about anything at all, just to, you know, just to break the silence, I suppose. And I fumbled it. In truth, I really fumbled it. I knew, I knew what they were going to ask, because there's only a certain number of ways you can start a conversation about uh, a thesis. And, and sure enough, they asked me what the main points of of my thesis work. And I had it prepared, I had a list of seven things that I wanted to say, and it's like a droppable. It's like, oh no. Um, so that probably took about 10 minutes for me to answer that question. I guess I'm quite loquacious at the best of times, but you know, I really wanted to make a good impression, and I went on with it. Let's, let's be honest. I want to tell you what happened next but I cannot, for the life of me, remember. I know that we went through my thesis one chapter at a time, and that Professor Brilliantov, in particular, had post-it notes through my thesis, a lot of post-it notes through my thesis, with questions on each one, so we're turning from page to page, and he's just asking me the question on the post-it note, and I was expecting that. I was expecting something like that, but to see 
this, this body of work with just question after question after question in it was, was just eye-watering. And I'm thinking, oh no. And that's it. That's, that's all I remember. Because it was so intense. I mean, people were extremely concerned that putting a camera in the Bible was going to in some way affect the outcome. Whether it affected my performance, added to my nerves. But the reality of it is, I didn't think about it once. I walked in, oh, there's the camera. Didn't think about it again. I was so... I mean, it would have been ridiculous to think about the camera. I was there to do a viva for something I've been working towards for seven years. I'm not going to suddenly stop and go, ha, ah, camera, hi. Yeah, it would be like, like the winner of the Grand National stopping and posing for the photo finish. just wasn't going to happen. I wasn't torn apart, no. I, I went in there, I knew my stuff, I had prepared really hard for this. Um, I read my thesis through, I had anticipated what I might be asked. Um, I picked out a few weak spots in my thesis, and had prepared defences for those. And, uh, and, and I did the work, right? I mean, if I came and asked you about being a cameraman, you'd be able to talk to me about that for hours on end, right? Pretty much non-stop. And that's basically the truth of it. Somebody comes and asks me about being a physicist, I just talk about my work for hours on end. And so, because it's my work, because I did the work, it was a very comfortable, actually, in the end, really very enjoyable experience. It was something that, in, in hindsight, I'd do it again. <laughs> so I, don't think I, I don't think I'll get the opportunity, but I would do it again, for sure. It'd be great. Essentially, I didn't move. I mean, it, three hours went by in such a blink of an eye, it's ridiculous. I, I thought it was about an hour. We got into the details so many times as we, as we went through the thesis that, that there was nothing left to discuss at the end, and so that was just the stop. And they said, well, you, you can go. And I was shocked, because I really thought, first of all, I thought I'd been in there just a few minutes, and second of all, I was braced at that point for, for the hard stuff that was going to come next. <laughs> I left the room and went for a, a glass of water, and I literally had time to pour myself a drink. And Professor Beacon appeared at the door and said he'd come back, and he had his best uh, poker face on. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I went weak at the knees. I thought I was going to fall down. I was so And that's, that's the sad truth of it, actually, is that I felt relief. It was, it was some time before I felt joy. What I felt was just like, thank heavens for that, even though it's done. Uh, I walked out the door, and Roger was standing there, and he just had the biggest grin on his face. Um, so he obviously didn't be listening at the door anyway. And Yeah. I wasn't really prepared for how I was... I felt so dazed afterwards and confused and just like, oh, I felt three, three is a quarter hour. I had loads of stamina left to do one. <laughs> it took me about 45 minutes before I called Joe and told her. Um, what did I say? I didn't have to say very much, I just said I passed. What else was I going to say? I passed. <laughs> um, yeah, she was ecstatic. And I think probably because she was so joyous about the whole thing, that helped me to move past the relief and actually start to really enjoy the moment. Um, I made 
just so many phone calls in the evening. And I phoned my dad first, and he said, you know, just really proud of your son. And that's yeah. And my sister, you know, she's been jumping up and down ever since. She's so excited about it. It's like she got it, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, my family are really pleased because I think that they have been going through this experience with me. And it has been a really intense period in our lives. And so, just to, to share in the excitement of some really positive news has been